It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show. With your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Moltovich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon. It's another beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest. And this is the Bo's Nose Show live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And uh, we have a guest today on our show, Ed McMahon with the Lane County Home Builders Association. And I asked Ed on particularly to come on and talk about the cost of housing uh, because there's been quite um, a concern. There's a report that came out in the local newspapers here and actually statewide about uh, youth homelessness uh, in our school systems and and just how it's setting records across the state and is, is really bad here in Lane County. And one of the things they trace it to uh, and as families becoming homeless due to the high cost of, of housing and how much housing is taking up of personal family budgets. So I wanted to bring Ed on uh, with the home builders to talk about some of the drivers behind housing costs because I think some people might not be quite aware of just what goes into the price of a house and how are some of the decisions uh, government here in Oregon has made and are making that are actually driving some of those costs up. So, Ed, uh, why don't you first uh, tell us a little bit about what the Home Builders Association is and a little bit about your background, and then we can kind of get into this whole housing cost thing. Well, first, I want to say it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Commissioner, and thank you very much for the invite. Yeah, the Home Builders Association of Lane County is a trade association. We were chartered in 1956, and we represent the housing industry on a local, state, and national level. So when you join our local association, you're also a member of the state and national. And to give you a good outline of what we're about we have seven primary goals, and the first one is legislative and regulatory representation, and that gives me the opportunity to get to work with you. And uh, also membership services and education is a very important goal for us. And also peer association and networking. We really encourage uh, members to use members for business. And we uh, develop it, uh, favorable public perceptions of the industry, something I hope to do a little bit of today. And we support worthwhile community needs. Just so proud of this membership and what they put back into the community through the Veterans Housing Project and several others. And then uh, we also promote good business standards. Every member of the association signs a statement of principles to adhere to those good uh, business practices. And then the big one for me, the one that comes from the heart, 
is we're advocates for affordable housing choices for all citizens. Those kids that are in school that are homeless to the first-time home buyer to the mansions. We're advocates for home ownership. And uh, that's basically what we do. That's a pretty good uh, you know, summary of all that. How did you end up being the, the executive director of the Lane County Home Builders? What's kind of your background, Ed? Well, it's funny. I tell people I, get, I got my doctorate degree in midlife crisis. I moved uh, from Oklahoma <laughs> to Oregon in uh, 1990, basically in a midlife crisis. The majority of my experience in Oklahoma was about 13 years with uh, various CPA firms and uh, good at my job, but just really didn't enjoy it. Decided to move to Oregon, start over, and find something that I really loved to do. And I was out here for about seven years, uh, was a member of the association, and then became a board member, and then really found that personal pride and everything that I have in ownership and realized that this is where I want to make a difference. And so fortunately, in 1997, after a national search, they decided to hire me, and I've been here ever since. They can't get rid of me now. Yeah. Awesome. And, and I've enjoyed working with you over the years. Um, I think the first time we met, Ed, I, I was working for Branch Engineering um, at, at, a, at a, I think it was out in uh, – River Glen subdivision when they were first breaking ground out there. I think they had the annual picnic um, or the kickoff. I think it was after the broken kickoff ground, party, but there right. were some houses yeah. going up. Yeah, it was on the tour. Some of the houses were on the tour that year, and I think they had the kickoff picnic for the tour out there at River Glen, which right. I'm proud just, that that uh, was a subdivision I designed. Uh, yeah, and this in, year in, we in my completed our 31st annual tour. Yeah. No, yeah, it's great yeah. history, you bet. You know, what I really respect about your history is the outstanding job with benefits that you had at eWeb that you gave up for less pay to represent the citizens of West Lane. I just want you to know I really appreciate that. No, thanks, Ed. So um, before we jump into the subject here, I just want to remind our listeners, uh, if they want to get in and ask some questions uh, to you or, or myself, uh, they can call 646-721-9887 and just press one and that lets Robin, the call, my, our, my producer slash call screener, know that you want to get in on the conversation. She'll uh, get you in the queue. Um, or you can actually message us on Facebook. Uh, go to KRBN. Internet News Talk Radio. It just if you just put in KRBN on Facebook, you'll you'll find our page pretty quickly. Or you can email us at KR at talk at krbnradio.net. And again, that's talk at krbnradio.net. Uh, and you can even email us and message us um, between shows uh, with questions and comments and suggestions for guests or whatever else. Uh, but you know, this is uh, your chance to get in on the conversation. But today we're mostly talking housing costs. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what goes into the price of a house. You know, and, and we all know it's it's market driven. And, and you know, in 2009, 
the price of a house is different than it was in 2007, and it's different from what it is now in 2016 as the market heats up a little bit. So there is, you know, that overall general housing market, but built into buying that house, there's a whole bunch of different things like uh, land, materials, uh, labor for the construction of it, uh, permits, etc. Just, you know, talk a little bit about some of the things. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, first of all, you know, there's a lot of planning and a lot of engineering. You know, we got to keep in mind that the home is one of the largest investments a lot of families will make in our economy. And it needs to be regulated and it needs to be done appropriately. But uh, sometimes some of those regulations are a little bit far-fetched and continue to add the cost to the cost of housing without adding that much or any safety. And at that point, we feel like it eliminates people from getting into that home. So we're about trying to find the balance of giving the person a good home, a stable home that's safe, that more people can afford to get into. You know, we all know, I, I believe we're starting from a point of knowing that home ownership is the foundation of the American dream. It, it builds stronger communities and it provides a solid, solid foundation for families. And I think it improves the quality of life. And a lot of people can, are convinced that it's the cornerstone of the American way of life. And that's why, you know, I'm so blessed to have this job is I have experienced the pride of home ownership myself, and I see the importance in the generations of Americans that have counted their homes for their children's education and for my retirement and just a personal sense of well-being. So we need to realize that home ownership is a cherished idea, and we need to open it up to as many citizens as possible. But to get back to your question on the cost, you know, after the design and everything and the engineering to make sure that it is safe and built soundly, then you go in for the permits, and then all the systems and development charges. And our association builds one home a year for the tour. So I'm fairly familiar with this. And in the home that we built for this year's tour, um, out of the total cost, about 20000 of that was permit and systems development fees and other intangibles that didn't actually go into the construction of the home. So that's, that's major. But the biggest thing that's affecting us today, Commissioner, is it's simple economics 101, supply and demand. The supply of housing is as low as I've seen it in my 20 years, and the demand is extremely high, and it's driving up the price. Very concerning to me. Yeah, so you know, obviously supply is a function of people actually putting their houses on the market of existing home stock, but generally when you see a market like this, you see um, a lot of new housing starts to to meet that demand, um, but I'm not seeing as much new housing uh, permit activity uh, here locally as you would expect to see in a uh, a growing market like this. Does that have anything to do with the with the availability of actual land to build a new house on? I would say that's the number one primary concern: the availability of land. 
and then right behind that, uh, realize that uh, most financial institutions still are not loaning on speculation building. So the majority of the, of the building that is going on right now are with builders that have their own or private financing. And that really limits the number of builders who can get out there and put people to work. So the lack of supply of land, number one, uh, financial institutions not open to speculation at this point. And uh, the other part of it, uh, it, it really comes down to the land supply. It's just so hard to find a lot within the Eugene Urban Growth Boundary to build on. Give you an yeah, example. and that kind of touches uh, on a whole, whole another oh, yeah. subject of, of urban growth boundaries and all that. Um, I'd like to get to that in a minute, but I want to go back to the, the financial um, aspect of, of not loaning on speculation. Um, does that have anything to do with the reforms that were made since the 2008 um, housing bubble collapse, you know, quote, housing bubble collapse and, and the, uh, yes, sir, the whole? Yes, uh, sir, I've actually, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've actually talked to some bankers who would actually like to play more and fill the markets right but regulations do not allow them to do so. So, so that's an example of why federal regulations are affecting the market. Yeah, I'm yeah. Sorry, that, that's what I was get, just getting at. Good. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, it, I... Yeah, there was an issue there where, you know, the rules did get kind of crazy and people were actually able to turn mortgages into a speculative, uh, you know, basically stock market instrument, you know, where people were gambling on on mortgage securities, um, which got really crazy. And we don't want to get back to that point because that's kind of what created the bubble and the whole flip this home sort of type thing um, where people Agreed. thought they were going to get rich overnight. I, could yeah. agree more. But um, I, I also yeah. hope that we learn that, you know, what, something else I noticed before the, the bubble burst was that uh, young people were buying as much of a home as they could, you know, afford and then wouldn't even be able to buy furniture to put in that new home. And I, I think we need to start more conservatively and work up as opposed to trying to take off such a big bite at the very beginning. I saw a lot of that happening this week. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, my first home purchase was a row home. Same so. here. Yeah. Yeah. So, and uh, I, I, you know, I've lived in all sorts of housing over the years too, uh, including a single wide um, trailer uh, in, in in a tornado alley. So. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. Um, the, the one thing that I am proud to say is that uh, once I got out of the Army, I bought my first home, and I never made a rental payment. And I'm proud of that one. Oh, yeah. But, I, I know, can't say I haven't made rental payments. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we were talking about supply and demand and the inventory, and I have some really good figures for the local market from uh, RMLS. And, you know, in January of 2014, we had seven months' worth of housing inventory, used and new, in the local market to sell. 
and six to seven months is what they consider to be a balanced market between buyer and seller. Well, since January of 2014 to September of 2016, we are down to two months' worth of inventory. In June, it was down to 1.8. Commissioner, I've never seen the inventory this low. When the homes are built, they're sold. Wow. That is a very low inventory. I mean, I've been around the house market. I've I've seen it where the inventory has gotten up to a year, you know, which was obviously, you know, a, a, a buyer's market at that point. Um, but that's really far into the seller's side, which is why the, the, the price is going up so much, which tends to, you know, if the that that brings up the entry level prices so the new homeowners can't quite get in so they stay in their rentals which makes you know the rental occupancy rates really high which drives up the cost of rentals and it works its way down into the market down to that low end uh, entry level affordable housing and next thing you know there's there's you know a real problem with people being able to afford you know the percentage of their budget they're paying for housing gets to be so um, large that they can't afford other items in one, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, one emergency and the rent payment doesn't get made and they get behind and, and you know, stack up some credit card debt and can't afford to pay the, the minimum payments on that. Next thing you know, they're on the street living out of a car, you know, and that's how we end up with extreme ripple effect uh, yeah all all the way down to elementary kids that are homeless I I wish I had the solution I continue to look for it daily yeah well one of the things we we mentioned is you know it sounds like we could probably stand to talk with Congress about maybe um, swinging the pendulum back a little bit but not too far to allow a little bit more um, lending flexibility to the banks. We don't want to get into, um, you know, securitizing mortgages again, uh, like they did and, and where, you know, we were trading mortgages basically like stock. Um, Agreed. Yep. And we don't want to get into liar's loans that were going on at that time either, where people didn't have to actually prove out income. But I think there is some exactly. room for, um, lending flexibility from the federal government, that would free up some housing stock, um, as well as multi-family housing, which is a part of this picture too. I don't want to lose track that there is need for rental housing at the same time. Or even, you know, like you said, it's not always about buying everything that you can afford and not having the ability to purchase furniture to go into it. Um, You know, condominiums have their place also in the housing uh, market. I agree. But yeah, and the, the you know, if housing can, if housing continues on the current trend and the local market that it is, rental property is going to be in higher demand because more people are going to be priced out of the market and they're not going to be able to get into that first home and they're going to be stuck in the rental. That, that's my yeah. primary concern. So, yeah. so I I remember once upon a time ago. You used to be able to buy a finished lot to build a house on, you know, anywhere from twenty to fifty thousand um, dollars 
on down in the valley floor. I'm not talking about up in the South Hills or anything like that. And then, you know, more recently, you know, I've seen it climb up to 60 to 100,000. You know, what are finished lots going for nowadays? I, I've, I've kind of been a little bit away from the market. Is, 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 what's the ground cost to put a home on? Well, here's my experience in the tour homes. Uh, 2011, 12, 13, 14, we were in northern Santa Clara area, and we were paying around 64 to 68,000 for a lot. Uh, then 2015, we went over to Moon Mountain, about 75,000 there, and uh, this the 2017 tour home is going to be in Addison Creek off River Road. And we purchased that lot for a hundred and nine thousand dollars. Holy moly! So, yeah. So, so understand my concern. <laughs> and yeah. you know the, the yeah, local so, market is you know you can see this nationally and statewide, but I'm more concerned about the local market because of our urban growth boundary and the lack of land to build on. Yeah. That the prices yeah. are going. And it's a lack you know, of. Even, yeah. Yeah, it's a lack of land that's easily built on because, you know, there is some land that's sort of available up in the South Hills that might be subdividable. But, you know, by the time you try and deal with that slope and the creeks and, and woods and, and land, you know, landslide issues and everything else, uh, it gets to be really expensive to construct up there. Um, well, no Creek affordable is housing is going to be done up there. Yeah. yeah, no affordable yeah, you're housing not and something yeah. I preached during Envision Eugene, me and a couple other people, is the citizen needs to know that the buildable land inventory, a lot of it is in the South Hills, and all the cherry picking in the South Hills has already been done. What's left up there is somewhat constrained, and there are some lots up there that builders definitely will not build on, yet it is still in our inventory preventing us from getting an expansion for more land. So one of the problems that we see in the South Hills is a lot of the inventory is there, and it's listed as buildable, but we question if it really is. Now, you get into the other area, you know, there's some subdivisions going on in the South Hills, definitely, and there's a lot going on in Santa Clara right now. And you know, we have our Oregon land use law and our urban growth boundary, and I'll be the first to admit, in one way, it's working because of the lack of supply of, the, of land, buildable land within our urban growth boundary has now gotten to the dollar value to where it is being developed. Um, take Addison Creek, for an example. It was an old rotting filbert orchard for years, and then finally went through in the state and was sold in phase one's almost totally built out already. So, you know, part of the uh, the land use law works to get infill within the boundary before you go out, but it's about balance, and the pendulum has swung way too far to one side in our local market, so it's affecting our local market more than in other places in the state and in the nation. Yeah, I mean, when you think about that, you know, you get a finished lot for 109000 you add 20 some thousand in system development charges and permit fees to that, 
you're up past $130,000 and you haven't even started building the house yet. Correct. Um, and, so, you yeah, know, we already yeah. know that that house is going to have to go for over $400,000. We already know that. Yeah, just to get some return on investment by the time you pay for the land exactly. and the permits and, and the construction costs. Um, yeah, to try and get a reasonable rate of return from a house for a builder because there's so much risk involved. Um, you got to build in, you know, a 20% return or something. You got to you got to build a house that's in the 400,000 range, and that's not affordable housing. Yeah, so if you no, start out with a lot that's over 100,000, you can't build affordable housing. The good news is, so a lot of the market demand is in that price range right now. But once again, it's not helping affordable housing. Yeah, for sure. And and you know, if you could build in the two hundred and fifty to three hundred range, they would be gone. You couldn't keep those on the market more than a day or two. Well, that much true, demand for that but I don't know. I don't know if you could do that and make any money doing it. That that's why I'm concerned that. In our area, affordable housing can really be identified as subsidized housing. Yeah, which is what we we really shouldn't have to do. Um, I, you're probably Agreed. familiar, yeah, with with Hayden Homes uh, as a home builder, and one of the subdivisions I did back in the '90s was Hayden Gardens which was right. their first subdivision on this side of the hill because um, they actually came out of the Bend area. And uh, they were building stick-built homes that started in the 130s back in the in the 90s. Um, and it was it was a step up from a, a uh, um, modular home you know, that you bring in on oh, trailers good and put together on a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it was it, a home that would it, allow them to get in there and build equity. Yeah. Yep. And then you might buy up to the next level the next time because you had enough equity built up and the and the market went up, and and you just can't get a flat piece of ground and develop the lots cheap enough to build that low end entry level home anymore. Um, you're just you're not seeing. I'll praise Hayden Homes. They're, you know, they're based out of Redmond, one of the largest builders in Oregon, and they do an outstanding job developing what I consider to be entry-level homes. Every family that would, that becomes a homeowner, in my opinion, is a victory. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, you know, we talk about the uh, um, – the whole issue of uh, housing affordability. Uh, we also kind of have to, you know, briefly mention that part of the cost of housing is also the property taxes on that house. And, uh, yep. you know, fortunately, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, in some ways, we've actually managed to kind of keep that a little bit under control here in Oregon. It's probably not as big an issue for housing affordability as as some things are, but it is still a pretty big. Um, you know, when you think about, uh, at least I know that if, if I look at my mortgage payment, um, a good 
So I, at least 25 percent of it goes into my my escrow for uh, taxes and insurance, and and right. my escrow is probably over three quarters taxes, not insurance. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So, and uh, you know, we believe. You know, there's some people in this community that believe that housing, single-family housing, is subsidized. And we brought an economist from Washington, D.C. out here in 2009 to prove that that is not the case. In fact, housing pays for itself within one year of completion. But, you know, a lot of people... I noticed during the Envision Eugene process, it seemed a fairly easy for the community to talk about an expansion for industrial, an expansion for jobs. But it became a very different story when we talked about single-family homes. And the way I saw it is, you know, home ownership is a major driver of the U.S. economy. It represents 15 to 18 percent of the gross domestic product. And if we're wanting to create jobs, let's get single-family homes going again. You know, constructing 100 single-family homes will create 297 full-time, well-paid jobs and $28 million in wages and business income, $11.1 million in federal, state, and local tax revenue. We've got to get the housing industry going again. Wow, those are some, some you know, pretty pretty impressive numbers. Well, you know, two things that yeah. I really appreciate about the home building industry is uh, we're the one sector, there may be more, but we are one sector of the economy that has contributed to the growth of the middle class. That seems to be big these days, and it's just proud to be part of an industry that has actually helped and contributed to the middle class wealth. I, I like that a lot of it. And then uh, a lot of the single family homes, I, I feel like we ought to have a big sticker on every house that says made in America because the majority of the products used in home construction and remodeling are manufactured right here in the United States. So, you know, there's all kinds of good reasons to get the single-family home-building industry rolling again. We're not there yet. Yeah. And, and the real, probably the greatest restriction on that in Oregon and particularly in Lane County is the, the urban growth boundary at this point. As we look at uh, Eugene and Springfield, and Springfield um, has been trying to, to get an expansion in their urban growth boundary um, set up, uh, but they, they're kind of constrained by physical constraints. They're surrounded by rivers that have floodplains, and we, we can talk about the, the, the FEMA. Yep. Yeah. We can talk about FEMA floodplain yeah, issues later. But, but uh, you know, yeah. they don't really have a place to go to get some of this easily developed land, whereas the city of Eugene um, urban growth boundary, they do have land that they could bring in that would be relatively – uh, lower cost, I would say, to uh, to develop single-family homes on, but they have this, you know, and and as I look around, you know, there are other communities that are also trying to deal with, you know, where do they grow, and, and you know, every time you turn around, somebody like the city of Coburg tried to expand their UGB, it got appealed 
um, to the Land Use Board of Appeals and it's been remanded. So they're going to have to go back to you know, a couple steps and start over again. So their, their, their urban growth boundary is not expanding and you kind of, um, the difficulty in trying to, to get new land into urban growth boundaries, because in Oregon, you can't really do uh, residential subdivisions that have water, sewer, and urban services um, outside of an urban growth boundary. You can do those um, one or two homes here and there on, on five, 10, 20 acre uh, parcels uh, out in the country uh, for new, new housing, but that's not gonna be our affordable housing um, the affordable housing is going to happen inside these. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't create any density out there either. So, yeah, very true. Um, a, a lot of concerns, and I can see ways to get it turned around, but in Eugene, it, it's going to take a while. It, it's a very divided community between growth and no growth. And one of the biggest frustrations for me during the Envision Eugene process is, you know, climate change is a big deal for a lot of us. And they were talking about vehicle miles traveled, yet our planning is forcing us to push people out to the surrounding communities for housing, and now they're going to have to commute back to Eugene for work. And it's increasing vehicle miles traveled. But they'd rather do that as opposed to expand the, the urban growth boundary and keep them closer to work. It just didn't make sense to me. There's something I'm not seeing. Maybe a caller can let us know what it is. And speaking of calling, if you want to get in on the conversation, you can just dial 646-721-9887 if you have a question or a comment on this whole issue of housing costs. Uh, you know, we've got Ed on the line, and I've got a little bit of my own expertise in this area. Um, but love to hear what, what you think is some of the drivers behind housing costs and creating some of our uh, housing crisis and homelessness. Uh, you can also get to us on Facebook um, at uh, KRBN um, Internet News Talk Radio. And you can also get to us by email at talk at krbnradio.net. Um, speaking with Ed here, from the Lane County Home Builders Association. We're talking about housing affordability and uh, we're just kind of talking about UGBs and you know the the failure of the city of Eugene hasn't touched their UGB since they approved a slight change in it to to get Jerry's store built on Highway 99 and I, and unless you've been around the Eugene area since the 90s um, you probably don't remember that. <laughs> So that's right. the last time the, the, the Eugene UGB has been adjusted at all. And they're supposed to have a 20-year supply of land within it. So that was 20 years ago. And that expansion was specifically for one store. Um, and, that, and that's been it uh, in, in over 20 years. And, and actually, it's been... Basically, since they set the UGB, uh, they haven't expanded it for housing stock. And that's why there's so little land within it that's, that's buildable and it drives the cost of a lot up past $100,000, which then drives the base price of a house outside the range of, afford, of what we would consider affordable housing that would help people move 
you know, some of these young kids that are, you know, paying, you know, rent to move into home ownership and then ultimately open up rental stock and keep the pressure on rental, monthly rental rates down. Um, you know, it, it's it's this cascade effect of, of what happens with the housing costs. And and it's interesting, you know, yet, you know, this was, I had scheduled you, you know, before our meeting on Tuesday of the Board of Commissioners, but there was a, we kind of had a little parade of public testimony at the Board of Commissioners meeting about um, creating a, a homeless shelter or some kind of emergency housing for homeless people in Lane County. Um, didn't know that was coming, but, you know, what was interesting is some of the people that spoke are the very same people that spoke against expanding UGB. And there seems yep. to be this disconnect um, amongst the folks that are uh, concerned about global warming or climate change or anti-growth. They want density and everything else that they're they're trying to engineer into society. Yet they're the same ones that are super concerned about you know homeless folks having a place to live, and they're not connecting the dots between their anti-growth. Um, policies and the homeless issue um, and it's you know there are other areas that have also tried to get into restricting housing stock and trying to force um, uh, high density development and other issues you know you know controlled um, smart growth however you want to call it the Portland area's housing cost has gone through the roof because they've got they haven't done enough to to get a, a decent supply of buildable land there and you look at areas like in California, like San Francisco and San Jose, and you know, impossible to touch houses for a reasonable cost down there. I don't know how people live down there. Um, well said, well said. But, it warms my heart yeah. to know there's other people out there that realize that. Yeah, and you know, there yeah. are case yeah. studies all over the United States to show the effects of regulating the land supply. And, you know, Jay, there's a lot of history on that because we were going to the city of Eugene in the early 1990s requesting that we look at the buildable land supply because we need to have an expansion. And they wouldn't listen and refused to do it. And then it got to the point to where Springfield wanted to look and see if they needed more, but Eugene wouldn't. And so we actually came up with House Bill 3337 that divorced the two urban growth boundaries between Springfield and Eugene. That was passed by Governor Kuangoski in June of 2007. And now here we are, 2016, and would appear that there still is going to be a single family expansion. And I'm concerned that that 20 buildable, 20 year buildable land supply that we're supposed to have is not going to exist in five to eight years. That's my primary concern. Are we still going to be building homes? Yes, just not Eugene. Instead of Eugene planning for yeah. growth and going out, the surrounding communities are going to be coming to us. Yeah, and which is the case with Junction City. You look at they brought their urban growth boundary all the way down to, um, at, they're not quite Aubrey, they brought it down to um, Almost to the airport, yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah, and and, uh, and when you look at the population figures for uh, Lane County, Junction City is the fastest growing uh, population center in Lane County. Uh, you know, so you when know, Eugene refuses. A... Yeah, I was going to say, when Eugene refuses to, Go ahead. When, when Eugene refuses to grow, it pushes out elsewhere. I'm sorry that right. we're talking over each other. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead. A little bit there, trying to prevent that, a little bit of a time delay. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. it's a primary concern that I have. And another effect that I'm, I'm afraid is going to happen is in the Envision Eugene process, we've set up a monitoring program where we can check in every three to five years and adjust on how things are going. But the concern that I have is the land is so constrained that a lot of things that we're going to monitor are going to be falsely adjusted. Like, for instance, if we had enough land, the housing mix probably would be 60-40. But since the land supply is so constrained, that housing mix probably will differ a little more toward multifamily. But what figure do we need for the planning? It's the figure that if we, you know, if we're accepting the citizens that are coming this way, it's going to be the historical housing mix of around 60-40. So a lot of what's happening is also going to continue to have negative effects in the future because it's being the the statistics are even going to become constrained. Uh, Junction City is going to grow faster in Eugene because Eugene won't allow the growth to be here. Yep. And, and then the same people that are concerned about vehicle miles traveled are actually forcing people to live in outlying communities where they're going to drive many more miles, whereas if they would expand Eugene's UGB out in, in the Santa Clara Highway 99, Clear Lake Road, or wherever it is for some single family, that's going to be a lot shorter trip than Cresswell. And Cresswell is probably Agreed. another one of our fastest growing communities. Yeah. I was yeah. very disappointed. You know, originally, I think it was March of 2012, when the city manager came out with his first recommendation for Envision Eugene, we had a very nice... 20-minute neighborhood planned in the Clear Lake area. And it was an excellent expansion area for single-family homes. It was flat. Affordable homes could have gone in there. Could have gotten a lot of families into home ownership. Yet a few other organizations, Toxic Right to Know and some others, felt like that was not the right place in town to be building homes because of the industrial zone. And so things got political, and that was eliminated. And then when we still had an expansion for single family, the areas that we had to go to because of the state law, nobody really cared for. They were not desirable areas. That's why it's important that I think we establish urban reserves where we can expand where we need to. But uh do want you to know, uh, Commissioner, that uh, – the Home Builders Association has not given up on a single-family expansion through Envision Eugene. We are taking some legal steps right now to try to change the process and save it. Uh, more details in the future. Yeah. Well, that, that'll be interesting because, you know, I've been watching the Envision Eugene process for a while because we have to co-adopt as the county commission because 
it involves, you know, that essentially county property is what's between the city limits and the UGB. Um, so any changes in, in the uh, in the city's master planning process, we have to co-adopt um, because it, it, it's really county's own land um, that they're also adopting a plan for. And I, I, it just seems like it's been wa like watching paint dry and, and, and they keep getting the wrong color paint from the store and get a couple brush loads on the wall and then have to run off to do something else, you know, because <laughs> it's not right. Um, and, and a the, lot um, based on a lot of great intent. I, I, I do agree that it was based on a lot of great intent, but uh, man, it's just not getting there. Um, it's going way too far. Yeah, it, it's you know, it's it's. I don't I don't see the end to it. I don't. Yeah, and it's based it's based on an assumption that people really want, you know, this this. Um, model of higher density, smart growth, nodal development, yet the first place they try to rezone to achieve that in an, in an area where you would think they would be welcoming of it, the South Willamette um, special area zoning there, Swazi or whatever it was they, right. they tried to do. Right. Yep. Uh, yep. South Willamette area. Uh, yeah, I can't there. remember what the... Yeah. the so, yeah. you know, yeah, we they don't, definitely we don't want to expand the boundary. Uh, we want to keep multifamily on the transit corridors so the people living in the multifamily have transit to work, yet the neighborhoods don't want to accept the density on the traffic corridors. And so it's a catch-22, you know, um, good planning versus uh, fear of the future. And, you know, part of that is our older single-family stock does need to be reserved because that's the stock that's going to get a lot of families into home ownership. And my primary concern in the local market are a lot of the older homes that could be a first home ownership opportunity are now rental property. And uh, if they come up for sale, they're usually snapped right away and turned into rental property. So that's something else affecting our local market. Yeah, and that's partly because there's so much pressure on the rental market that rental rates are high enough to make it worthwhile to an investor to purchase a um, an old 1970s Rambler track house um, and right. yeah. and and rent it, you know, in the Beth, out of the Bethel neighborhood or 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 Lower River Road or somewhere somewhere out Santa Clara um, or even in the Ferry Street Bridge area because they can they can definitely um, you know, make a profit on those as a rental. Um, and if, it's because there's you know, nothing real to yeah. And if I were a parent getting ready to send a student to the U of O and lived uh, out of town, I'd probably be coming up here looking for an old rental place for him to stay and get a couple of roommates, and all of a sudden I've got an investment while my kid's going to school as opposed to a housing cost. A lot of that's happened. Yep. Yeah. You know, you look at this. Look at the school enrollment around the University of Oregon, and the majority of the elementary schools and everything have pretty much closed. Um, there, there's not a population there to serve them. It's it's student housing now. Yeah, yeah. Which is which is sad, you know. And this whole 
you know, it gets back to how single family housing drives jobs and family wage jobs at that. You know, as I think about, you know, what what are the, the, the trades necessary to, to build a house? Carpenters, plumbers, electricians, uh, all of those pay family wages. Uh, and, and those are the kind of folks that will actually you know, move into our communities and have young children that will go to the local schools and keep the schools open and pay taxes and everything else. So it's a vicious cycle when we close out, when we try to socially engineer through making, um, you know, twisting around and, and trying to, to justify housing mixes and, and using older population growth statistics. Um, and suppressing the, the needed single family lands to the point where they don't want to expand. Uh, it, it has this, it's such a, a vicious cycle, you know, that when it, because it, you force people outside of the area, uh, and even then you're forcing up prices in those areas, uh, and housing, you know, people move further and further out to find affordable housing and drive further and further distances for jobs. Um, you know, you create the the lack of uh, low end housing to where people can purchase um, old, um, uh, smaller entry level housing and convert them to rentals. So there there isn't a place for that entry level. You're competing against rental investors for entry level. Um, right. yeah. You know, investments yeah. for young couples. So it's it, it's just such a vicious cycle. Um, so two state, two points I make on that. You know, number sure. one, um, one of my presidents contacted all of his subcontractors and had them, you know, work with their employees and everything. He was wanting to find out how many of his subcontractors actually lived in the Eugene Springfield area. The result was eighty percent of the people who come to Eugene and build his homes already live outside the city limits and you know and another point i'd like to make on that is you know another crisis that the home building industry is facing nationally not just locally is a labor shortage we have a lot of good paying jobs out there waiting for the younger people to come up and take them we old baby boomers are getting a bit too old to be crawling around on those dresses, and we do not have an appropriate workforce coming up to replace us. So anybody out there looking for a job, grab a tool belt and come along. You're welcome. Well, and that gets to that. Um, I can't remember what the number was of the ballot measure just recently passed that dedicated a certain 98. amount of money to technical. Yeah. Yeah. Measure 98, I, I hope that has some good results. I've actually been in some local high schools and have looked at woodworking shops that were beautiful. Some of the table saws and everything were in there were just outstanding, and no sawdust was being made at all. The program was shut down and almost brought tears to my eyes. Yeah, because you know, not every kid goes to college. And in fact, probably producing too many college graduates in some in some effects uh, in certain certain areas, uh, and it's part of the reason the cost of college has gone through the roof. Is is we've kind of almost overemphasized college in this country. 
Um, Agreed. But not every kid's meant for college, and if we could get them that technical education to go into a trade, um, boy, you know, it, it's part of this whole cycle. You know, we originally started this program was the cost of housing and the crisis it's driving in homelessness and youth homelessness. You know, if those youth that aren't going to college uh, came out and and from high school, you know, through Measure 98, had a little bit of a background where they could enter into an apprenticeship or they were actually ready to be uh, construction laborers, they'd be making enough money to to not have as many concerns about making their rent and 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 living paycheck to paycheck. Um, versus Agreed. the ones that are going to come out and end up in the service industry. You know, something I've wondered about that, you talk about the college degree and everything. I don't see the statistic anywhere, but I sometimes wonder what effect student debt has on people getting into their first home. I, I know it's there. I know it has to be a negative effect. I just haven't found any way to measure it. But, you know... One thing that I would like to say is that, you know, going right back to the heart of this problem, how do we help homelessness and, and housing affordability? And, you know, I mentioned I don't have a solution, but I do have some ideas. And first of all, I feel like we all need to realize that it's a community problem. You know, that a lot of solutions have come up that put it on housing. And I'm very concerned with that because if we put it on housing, that there's just a different section of the housing further up that's going to be affected, being paid more and being priced out of the market in order to get people into homes. So first of all, it's a community effort. The community needs to participate in the solution. Next, I'm visualizing some public lands with many homes that are constructed at a high quality where they can actually increase in value, have some appraised value in them. And if the entire community could get together and get some of the people in those homes, it could be a, step, a, a stepping stone to another home or it could be their permanent resident and we have a good roof over their heads. But I sure encourage the entire community to sit down, get together, and do something about this problem. It's a community situation. Yeah, and that's just, uh, it definitely um, needs to have a complete community solution. And, you know, as we, you know, we've talked a lot today about, you know, the impact of ha of lack of of, of single-family home uh, buildable, easily buildable lands um, in the Eugene area. But uh, the home builders has also participated, I think, quite a bit in a couple things that actually um, have put people into home ownership. Um, I understand uh, you guys have done a, a you know, not only with the housing for the veterans, but you guys uh, participate in the Habitat for Humanity uh, to a certain degree, and you've got a garage sale um, annually that benefits. You want to talk about any of your, uh, we got about five minutes left in the show. I want to kind of open it up well, here sure. to you, Ed, maybe talk a little bit about some of the things the home builders do for the community, as you mentioned, community solutions. Well, we've done a lot in the past. Uh, we've gone to uh, affordable housing complexes owned by St. Denny's and built decks for disabled people. 
I've done a lot of repairs and things like that. One I'm very proud of was the Reynolds Makeover Project that we did in Springfield. We built a home for, it was our own local little uh, uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation type of thing. We, we moved the bus, and there was a new home for a family that certainly deserved it. And it even had a hospital wing on it for their uh, uh, severely disabled son that we lost about a year ago. And uh, that was just a very heartwarming experience to watch all the members uh, give from the heart and, and give in a big way. It, it was a beautiful home and a great experience. And uh, we've always been there to support Habitat for Humanity. But uh, the biggest one that we've kind of focused on over the last several years is the Veterans Housing Project. And we now have nine homes in inventory and it's a program where a veteran can be returning from deployment and we'll put them in a nice home for two years for very decreased rent to welcome him back into the community or her and you know give them two years to get stable and to get worked into the community before they go out and find their permanent housing choice and then once they move out another veteran can move in and we're nine homes, hoping to get to around 25. The program's working great. But we've had Neil Kelly and Seneca Sawmill get together and build one home on Jefferson. We've had Mike and McCumber uh, construction, now Three Creeks construction, uh, move a decapitated home on the fairgrounds over to Jefferson and completely renovate it. And Bethel School System's been great. We have some homes out there. LTD donated one in Santa Clara. It's just been a great program and a, give, a way to give the veterans a hand up instead of a handout. And I've always been so proud of this membership as they're always willing to give back to the community. And I know once we get this local industry going even more, they'll give back even more. Yeah, that's always one of the things, uh, you know, as, as, we, if, as we help our, our local economy grow and businesses grow. It gives our, our local businesses the ability to participate more in, their, in our local uh, nonprofit charitable organizations, and, and everybody benefits along the way. So, uh, providing some of those build, buildable lands for the home builders and, and allowing them to get more houses under construction, single family homes under construction, will definitely have a side benefit of helping those home builders have the avail you know the the resource availability to help out with other projects so I, I really hope that we can kind of get this whole envision Eugene thing off of off of the dime and, and moving ahead somehow or another and get um, yep. any other uh, projects you want to talk about that home builders are involved in um, well, we do have our uh, Builder's Garage sale coming up in April at the fairgrounds, April 8th and 9th, and instead of coming out to see what kind of bargains we have, I'd like to uh, solicit to the listeners out there to maybe contribute to the garage sale. If you have any old doors, windows, tools, whatever, uh, please consider dropping them off on uh, uh, Tuesday or Thursday or Thursday or Friday at the fairgrounds, we'll get you a donation receipt from St. Benny's. Um, just proud to represent this membership and really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. 
Thanks, Ed, and I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show here, Bo's Note Show. And uh, it's been great talking to you, uh, and it's been an education for probably some folks about what really is driving some of the cost of housing in Eugene. And uh, we'll have you back sometime soon to talk about other stuff. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. I'd appreciate, I'd appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for your service to the community, and have a good evening. That's it for the Bo's Nose Show. We'll see you next week at the same time, Wednesdays at 4 o'clock. Good evening, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.